Welcome to the I'm Possible podcast. My name is Simon Drew, and I'm your host as we delve into the lives of my wonderful individual and unique guests. With a series of direct questions, my intention is to bring a deeper understanding of how humans learn to first survive and then thrive in this lifetime. My guests will be invited to reflect on their journey so far and the keys to their own growth and the best and worst of experiences. Please join me as we explore together the I'm Possible life. This week's guest is Kayla Becker. She's a daughter of the Midwest of the USA and an all-round impeccable and impressive educator, businesswoman, health advocate, coach, and a damn fine human. We'll be traveling the world and visiting some tricky situations with Kayla today. There'll be wisdom, the highs and lows of life's lessons, recipe ideas, and a whole lot of fun. Please buckle up and enjoy the ride. Please paint a backdrop of your early life up to adulthood. The where's, who's, what's and how's of your upbringing's key events and situations until you fled the nest. Great Thanks for asking, Simon. So I, I live in Iowa, middle of the United States. Uh, the easiest way for people to know where I grew up is that I'm um, five hours west of Chicago, Illinois. And if you're familiar with Minneapolis, I'm about four hours south of Minneapolis, Minnesota. So I'm in the center of the United States. Farming rural community is where I grew up with my family. And I grew up on a farm. My dad had cows and he had corn and soybeans. So I grew up on this idyllic farm in this small town outside of a a town of 2,000 individuals. And, you know, I had the stereotypical small family, you know, life of going to private parochial schools where my parents went to school um, from first grade through high school. And it was really quiet existence. I spent a lot of time with my cousins and my grandparents and my parents and family members predominantly because we lived out in the country and there was always things to do. Um, corn to pick up or that had fallen out of the wagons when my dad was hauling corn into town, sticks that were on the ground that needed to be picked up and cats to play with and all the small town um, rural life things. So I had a very idyllic childhood growing up, spent a lot of time with my family, as I said, spent a lot of time with my grandparents. My grandparents had an apple orchard in this beautiful um, garden that they loved and adored as in addition to a flower garden. So a lot of my childhood was spent indoors, helping my mom with cooking and cleaning and baking, um, or playing with my sister or outside doing things with my grandparents or my dad. So I had a really quiet, peaceful childhood with no major turmoils or events that happened. I love to read, so I frequented the library a lot. I spent a lot of time reading as a child. I enjoyed the mysteries um, and I enjoyed being lost in a good book. Um, 
So that was the majority of my childhood was was spent doing those activities. And it was, it was a wonderful childhood. Wow. What, what was your favorite book? What was your favorite series of book or books or book? You know, I, I loved the Laura Ingalls Wilder um, books, and I also loved um, the mysteries. So Nancy Drew was a favorite of mine that reading all the Nancy Drew books. So all of those were were favorites um, of mine. And I really loved the series because it took off the pressure of finding a new great book. Because once I got into a series and I was like, oh, I like the series. I like the author. I enjoy the characters. It was very easy because there was another 20, 30 books in the series to, to cruise on through. So um, I spent a lot of time reading and playing school as well was another thing that I really enjoyed doing as a child was playing house <laughs> or playing school. Um, and being the teacher and having, you know, worksheets and assignments that I would give the students, my sister, um, to do. So, yeah. So you, you have one sister, are you only one sibling or? I have an older brother and then I have a younger sister. So my brother did all the sports things and watching all the sports. And, um, I was more into reading and cooking and playing outside and doing different activities like that. So sounds like you were the quiet one a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want I would say even to some extent I can be the quiet one yes <laughs> I am an introvert many times and sometimes my extrovert nature comes out it's come out more in the last couple of years so what was your um as you progressed through your school life what where did you what was your direction in terms of education did you did you have a particular path that you followed Yeah, so I was always a really good student, obviously, because I enjoyed reading. I enjoyed, you know, playing school and stuff. So I was really set up to be very successful in school because of all of that. So I enjoyed um, pleasing other people to a lot of extent and, you know, making my teachers or my parents happy by bringing home really good grades. And it was also like a personal thing, too. Like I felt really good when I had a high score on a test or I had like studied for something that I knew was going to be difficult and I did well on it. And my mom spent a lot of time with um, my siblings and I helping us study because school was something that was difficult for her when she was in school. So she didn't want that same thing to happen to her kids. And so I have lots of memories of sitting in my parents' bedroom, my mom laying on their bed and me sitting on the floor and her having my notebook from school and quizzing me and asking me questions, whether it was spelling tests or preparing for a social studies or a science test and asking various questions and then giving like different mnemonic devices to remember like the answers or if there was a series of things. Okay, what are some tricks that you can do to remember this? Um, my mom would have been a great school teacher because she loves the arts and crafts and she loves coming up with those, you know, mnemonic devices to help people be successful in another life. She will be a school teacher. (laughs) Um, so she practiced with us and we spent a lot of time. School was a really big priority, mainly because it was difficult for my mom looking back now, Um, mainly because it was difficult for my mom growing up and she wanted something to be different for her kids. So when I was in school, I did really well. And I knew I was going to go to college because that's just what I was told I was going to do. That's just the next step that you're going to take. So then it came down to, well, what am I going to do then? Like, you know, and at that point in my life, I had such a small 
understanding of the world, right? Like I watched the news with my family or I saw what my uncles and my aunts did and, or people that I knew like at the church. However, it was so, it was so narrow-minded because of that, because it was a small farming community. All my uncles worked at John Deere's, you know, most of my aunts stayed at home. So it was a really small window of, of understanding of what possible careers there are in the world, which is part of what led me to being a teacher. Now I did love it, right? I practiced it as a child, um, playing school and everything. And because my knowledge of the world was so small, there was only a couple of jobs that I, that I knew that I could potentially do. So I went to school, I went to undergrad for um, English secondary education. And my thought process behind this is really ridiculous if, when I think about it now. But I, you know, I, I, I closed my eyes and I pictured all the different classrooms in the school and the teachers that I had. And I was like, okay, would I want to teach science the rest of my life? No, I don't really like science that much. Social studies? No. I could do math. Like I'm really good at math. Math would be easy. Or I could teach English, right? And it was between math and English. And I was like, well, I really like reading books and and seeing the characters reflected myself. Okay, I'll do, I'll be an English teacher then. And that was my thought process that I went through to decide what I was going to study and spend thousands of dollars on to study in school. And it was a really simple process. It made sense to how my mind functioned at that time. And it worked out great for me for a number of years. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I can see that. Yeah. It, it it sounds like you had a, like you say, and you said the word idyllic childhood. Um, were there any major difficulties that you can, do you're aware of that, that occurred in your life in that early period up until you started college? You know, it was really idyllic. I had, I lost, um, my grandfather died when I was a child and that was a big shifting point because I had never experienced a loss to that extent. Um, and seeing, you know, like the sadness that that created for the entire family, especially my mom for losing her dad. And, you know, that set the stage for the remainder of my grandparents to pass away in the next, you know, five, six years after that. Um, so that was, that was difficult in the aspect of, um, of experiencing, experiencing a loss of somebody that was really monumental that I spent a lot of time at their house. And, um, that was important. Other than that, I would say the other difficulties was, was knowing growing up in a farming family, um, like the fluctuations in prices and how that impacted, you know, my family to that extent. And while my dad did have a second job, we also did rely on the income from him being a farmer that that would create. And at that time, he was growing his business um, and he wanted to purchase more land or he wanted to purchase new equipment or he needed to upgrade his equipment. So there's a lot of times that I heard conversations with um, my parents around money and and how to make it work. And they always made it work. Um, there were never any major arguments or or anything like that. Um, they were really committed to to providing and and being creative. I picture it as like a puzzle when I think of money from what I learned from my parents. Like, how can I move the puzzle pieces in order so that them for them to fit together for me to get to the next part of the puzzle? Um, and even though I didn't understand a lot of the conversation that they were discussing. I knew, I knew the seriousness of it. And I also knew 
they're going to figure out how to put the puzzle pieces together, even if there's stress in their voice, even if there's that anxiety or angst, um, they're going, they're going to figure out those puzzle pieces. So now when I think about that for myself, it's okay, how am I going to fit those puzzle pieces together for myself? What does that look like? And it becomes a game then, um, because I know that's, I learned to create it as a game from my family, as opposed to creating it to be this really stressful thing, which it can be for a lot of people based off of what, how they've used money in the past or how they've seen money used in the past. Um, yeah, that, that sounds like a superpower for you there, really. Uh, it's very, we can all get very attached to things like, I mean, money was a big, a big issue in my upbringing as well. We, we lived in, you know, I lived in a poor, we're a poor family. Um, and um, there were different, and I remember there's the energy crisis in the early 70s, probably way before you were even considered an option <laughs> for your parents. And, and, um, and I remember there were, there were difficult conversations and, and, and there were power cuts as well. There were numerous power cuts through one winter um, all sorts of, you know, mild hardships in the grand scheme of being human on the planet as we stand now. But, you know, when you're used to having these things available, it was um, certainly as a young child, it was, there's a bit of, upset around it you know and you were you're wondering what was going on to some degree but like you my parents would argue behind closed doors they close the kitchen door and stay in the kitchen and you'd hear them anyway <laughs> because you're as soon as that door closed you knew there was an important conversation or what would seem like an important conversation you knew by the energy and the way they were moving the way they were speaking um not necessarily hearing the words but you know it was um you know an important factor but the idea of gamifying how to get over hurdles in life is a super, we know now as a technique, that's, that's one of the techniques to get to, to create some, um, a sense of urgency around something, but also a sense of almost a pleasure, pleasurable experience as opposed to a need about something or having to change something or having to fight to get somewhere or do something. Um, gamifying things is a very powerful tool, isn't it? Yeah. And I would say, you know, in that, to that extent, there was definitely that the stress and the pressure that my parents felt, especially my dad being the individual who, who worked at John Deere's and also did the farming and my mom was responsible for our upbringing. There's definitely a lot of pressure on him. Um, and he worked a lot of hours for many years, seven days a week, uh, some days, 12 hours at John Deere's, and then he'd come home and he'd work. So there was always this, um, you know, there was some absence from him simply because of him being gone as opposed to how much time we spent with my mom. Um, but it was always like with this, you know, my dad was like, well, if I'm going to work these, these extra hours and if I'm going to make some more money, then that meets this need that I have. So, it was, you know, now I understand it as him creating a game, whether he would agree with that or not, but it's how to, okay, how am I going to move these puzzle pieces? They're going to work out in my favor is how I talk to myself now, they're going to work out in my favor. So what puzzle piece do I want to, you know, tick forward um, yeah, yeah, yeah. with it? Yeah. It's, it, it just as, as an energetic way of approaching the, the, the progression of something, it just, that just the language, it's just the language of it. It's, it, it's, it could be somebody might be ticking a list off, but when you're looking at it as a puzzle piece, you're creating a picture, aren't you? Just in yeah. that idea, you're, you're finished, you're, putting another piece together to create the bigger picture and, and, and come to some sort of conclusion around something. 
and just mentally the, the the picture and the and the words actually create something much more positive i think as opposed to ticking a box and oh i've done that one oh, i've done you know it, it, there's a different energy to it as well i think that's cool how, how did you so you sorry you went into teacher training then uh, at college um through uh, in english yeah which seems very natural, by the way, given it, it sounds really like it flows right out of your idyllic childhood with lots of reading and, you know, very sort of pleasant interactions on the farm and around there and, and all that stuff. So so let us know. Let, let's see what where did you go? How did you get on with college? Yeah. So, you know, going back to that idea of those puzzle pieces, it makes sense when I look back at my life, like, oh, yeah, it makes sense that I did that. Oh, it makes sense that I made that decision or I, or I took that route because of, of how those puzzle pieces were fitting together and, you know, the formative conversations I've had as a child. So, um, so my mom went with me to look at different colleges and you mentioned energy earlier and there was a certain like feeling that I got when I went onto these different college campuses and I had no idea. It was just like, ah, oh, this feels good. Or mm, I don't know about this one. There was something about it that would, would give me a good feeling or that would give me like, mm, let's, let's put this one at the bottom of the list. So I ended up going to um, a small private college. It's called Wartburg college It's about 60 minutes and an hour's drive from my parents' house. And, so still, again, staying in the same small community is where I went to school. And again, it was another idyllic experience. It was a beautiful campus and um, everyone that was there, for the most part, was there to, to study. It was, as I said, it was a private school. It was Lutheran-based and um, they had a great program. And my main reason for going there was because I wanted to travel because with my family and farming and everything, we, we went on some family trips and all those family trips were very close to home because in case we get a phone call from the neighbors at the cows were out, we needed to come back home and we needed to get the cows back into the pasture or we needed to take water over to um, another farm that my dad had every so often and, and water the cows and stuff. So there was always those responsibilities that were in place. So traveling of like going to the Grand Canyon or or going to the coast or something was not something my family did um, because of the responsibilities. So when I went to college, I was like, I want to go somewhere where I can travel. So this college that I chose, they had um, obviously spring break options where you could do service trips to different locations. And then they also had a May term. So some colleges have a J term where, where students can travel for the month of January and take various courses. And how this college had it set up, how Wartburg has it set up is that during the month of May, you finish your studies in April. And then in May, you take one course and there could be some travel opportunities with that if you want to take that type of course or you can stay on campus. I wanted to travel. I wanted to go out and explore and see things in the world beyond the small scope that I had seen. So I went to Warburg and I majored in English and secondary education. So it was a secondary, uh, a double major. And I, I took advantage of those opportunities. I participated in a service trip um, to Arizona one year. I led a service trip, but the, the like six months after Hurricane Katrina, when that was in Louisiana and Baton Rouge, um, I led a service tri down, trip down there another year. And then I also, because I was an education major, I could take various courses um, across the states. So my first May 
I was able to go to New York City and I did some of my field experience, some of my teaching um, at Marta Valle at, um, in New York City. So that was like my first like, oh, I did it. You know, like here's here's what else the world looks like outside of Iowa, the small world that I knew. It's a big shift being in New York, I imagine, isn't it? <laughs> did it blow your mind literally? <laughs> <laughs> so many like so many lights and oh, you know, yeah. so surprising. Yes. Um, yeah. And then I traveled to England, Scotland, and Wales. And we did a I did a literary tour oh. with um, my Brit Lit class. So I traveled there my sophomore year. And then my senior year, I went to um, Brazil and it was uh, a religion class that was about Christianity in Brazil and what that looked like. Mm. Um, And then I did my student teaching in Denver, Colorado. So, and that was for a semester. So I had lots of opportunities and I put myself, I mean, in all honesty, I put myself in lots of opportunities in order to experience something different. And one summer I decided, you know, I don't feel like going home this year. I want to do something else. I want to find a different job somewhere else. So I got connected with a girl that I knew on campus and she had spent the summer in Alaska working for an organization. So I was like, well, that's what I want to do. So I did that um, for summer as well. So college was really my opportunity to to see the world outside of what I knew growing, growing up and expand my horizons as far as what exists out there. Cool. Fantastic. So that brings us up to date in terms of getting to the end of your college years, I assume. Did you, was there a sort of transitional period going from college to then, obviously there was, to the world of work? How, how did that go and, and bring us up to date from that point, if you wouldn't mind? Yeah. So, you know, once I, once I got out of college and my world was opened up, I had an opportunity to teach at a school in the general area. I grew up within two hours of it. And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. You know, and my dad was not happy because I turned down a job offer. Um, yeah. And I was like, I, just, I don't want to do that. I want to do something different. Now that I see the world, like what's out there, I want to, I want to, I want to live big. So I ended up accepting a position to teach um, English in Seoul, South Korea. So then I moved to South Korea for a year and I taught English as a second language at Berlitz um, in Yoido in Seoul, South Korea in their financial district. So yeah, I, I seized an opportunity. I went there knowing absolutely no one, <laughs> all by myself. And it was such a great experience for me because it was it was when I really became independent um, because there's nobody there that was going to help me. Right. I couldn't call my parents and have them drive an hour to college campus if I needed something. They were in a six hour time difference um, across the world. Um, So it was a really it was an opportunity for me to spread my wings even more and to experience the world um, to an even greater extent. So that was that was my first teaching position was in South Korea. And that was, as I said. That's a brave step. I, I, I know yeah. I wouldn't have been brave enough to do that, to be honest. I would not have been brave enough to do that. So that's amazing. But I think I think what you what you you know the way you'd gone through college, university, um, how are you related to that? Um, and traveled various parts of the world independently, maybe with other a couple of other people and traveling together, 
but that clearly set you up for this first job in you know with the travel and and, and going on out on your own didn't it so so yeah where did you move from there so from there, um, there was a lot of family happenings that were going to be occurring. So my dad was going to be retiring the next year. My sister was graduating from college. My grandmother was um, ill. So I decided to come back to the States after a year in South Korea. And I took a position um, teaching high school English. And it was such a such a good position for me because I was literally three years older than some of my students. And we were very close in age <laughs> and I had to assume the position of leadership that, you know, that I'm the teacher and this is what we're doing. Um, so it really helped me step into becoming more confident and comfortable. Um, even when I had to fake it at times and right. Even when I felt intimidated, um, because I would walk down the hallway and the kids would be talking to me. I looked like a student, you know, all of those things. Um, and it was a really great opportunity for me to, to become more of, more of the stronger individual that I knew that I was. So that was a great opportunity for me because I also um, worked with a coacher because half of my students had uh, a learning disability. So I was also very challenged in that aspect because okay, how do I, how do I create content? How do I create these lessons that are going to be impactful for these students so that they're going to meet the range of needs of the individuals that are in my room? So not only was I, you know, very um, close in age to those individuals, I also was learning this brand new skill of, of making the curriculum applicable and, and acknowledging what my students needed in order to, to grasp it. So I spent two years at that school and that was um, that was really important for me. That was another step in my journey of, of growing as a teacher. And then from there, um, I wanted to move somewhere closer to home. And my sister was now out of school. Um, so I took a, a position at an alternative high school. <clears throat> so I worked at an alternative high school for several years. And those students had had various incidences with the law that had been kicked out of their previous school placements. They were sent to this school because of items that they brought into the school that were illegal, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Some kids chose to be there and then other kids were, were forced to be there, sometimes by law or sometimes by, by the school district. So I went there and that was another, okay, put on new... <laughs> Grow up and show up, Kayla. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can just imagine. I, 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 I just want to interject slightly here in that when you talked about the, um, you know, the, the children who had learning difficulties, uh, I really related to that too. I mean, I've got a CrossFit coaching background, and I do, I still do fitness uh, classes and personal training. And one of the things I actually really enjoy still, I say still, it's always been enjoyable, is. Um, doing scaled options for people who have certain issues with joints or range of motion or um, ligament problems, whatever it might be, uh, 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 or are just generally weaker or some might be stronger, so they might need more. But it's one of the nuances of doing what I do that I really enjoy. Um, and I'm sure from you know, having a curriculum where, you you know, the, the governing body of the school is looking for performance figures because, unfortunately, schooling has that aspect to it now. But I'm sure 
despite that, that 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 learning you had working with people with those difficulties and then moving on to this where there, there are different, more social difficulties around family and behaviour problems were, I reckon, despite the diff, uncomfortable situation you probably felt at times, must have been superbly valuable. And you, and you said the first one was, I imagine you must have learnt a lot about yourself and about people in general on, on both of those um, positions that you had. Oh, 100%. Teaching at the alternative school was by far the favorite school I ever taught at, hands down. I would go back there in a heartbeat and teach because there's something special, there's something significant about working with that population that fills me up like few other things have in my life. And a lot of that comes down to how creative that I was forced, I was asked to become that I chose to become in those positions because doing things, how things have been done is not going to work with that population. They're going to, you know, they shut down or, or it's over their heads or, or whatever it may be. It's not engaging for them. So it's this consistent and persistent need of mine to, okay, if I'm going, if I'm going to have a really good day with these students, I can choose to have a really good day and and do something a little bit different, or I can choose to have a really bad day and teach what's given to me and hope for the best. That is not fun and that does not work out well. <laughs> Negation, acknowledge to all of those. So it's when I really, when I really found how important creativity is to me, that's only continued to blossom as I've gotten older and as I've moved to education in different ways is being able to be creative with the content that I'm sharing with students is so important to me because it lights me up. You know, I would go home or I'd see after school and be like, okay, how, what am I going to do different with this? What can I do that would make this more enjoyable? Am I going to have fun when I'm doing this and I'm talking about this? So that really became part of, part of my essence of who I am or, or that spark came out that was evident as a child when I was playing or when I was, you know, drawing pictures and stuff when I was at home as a child, that aspect of me that was forgotten to some extent in the other areas of schooling now suddenly reappeared. Um, and I loved working at the alternative school and working with that population. Okay. And problem solving and, and coming up with solutions because each student did something different. And I thrived on being creative and, and coming up with something that would be important for them and that would be relevant for them. And also learning how to negotiate with the students too, rather than being this authoritative figure. Okay, like let's negotiate then. If this isn't going to work, then what, well, what will work? And improving my communication skills to be able to have that conversation with them while also encouraging them to be like, like we can, we can do something different. If this isn't going to work for you, then tell me what is going to work. And then we'll come to an agreement from there. Um, so that was really important step in my journey. Yeah. And I, there's a couple of things coming up here for me in terms of what you just said there. One is that I see the puzzle pieces again, because you're actually trying to fit individual, individual puzzle pieces for numerous individuals in that class. You're the one helping draft and create those shapes and designs and creative bits of tech, if you like, that are going into that person's life. But also, um, you know, I had my childhood, there was very much a sense of black and white. And if mm. you're dealing with difficult, um, um, shall we say, people who've had difficult, have started 
playing up by doing awkward things like bringing weapons to school or whatever it might be, whatever you encountered, yeah. whatever, you know, whatever reason those students were, were in, in your classes at that point. Um, they're very, they're very much not in a conversation about making things work in their own environment at home or in the population or groups of, you know, their community. Um, so bringing that adaption of, of conversation or a, a piece of tech that works to help them communicate and, and that's a two-way street that you're creating with them communication-wise and, you know, facilitating their understanding and development and learning that's a huge, huge piece for them as an individual, isn't it? Um, to to learn, to teach. It's almost te the learning to learn part, which is something that I know in in modern school, you know, is a big thing. Teaching students how to learn, and it sounds like that's something that you facilitated in those that that classes that you, you taught there. Hundred percent, and it and it was also this me to some extent stepping into a mothering role with some of those students as well. Um, you know, not being that authoritative figure and being motherly. I was 25 time. I was 24 through 27, 28 when I was at that school. Um, and I was young and, it, and it was also me becoming somewhat of a mother to them and recognizing if they'd come in, right, they'd come in swinging the door and someone would knock all the books off of a table and would slam their bag down and they'd put their head down. And it was like, yeah, I will not, you know, like giving them the space to, to be upset. And then I'll like, and just be like, I can tell you're upset. I'll come back and chat with you in five minutes and see if you're ready to have a conversation and being okay with, you know, not just like barricading and be like, you can't come into the classroom like that. And, you know, blah, 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 you know, like I learned that that is not what I'm going to do because number one, it's not comfortable for me. Um, and I need to take a breath at times when they would, when people would come in really heated and obviously they do too. So when can I go and approach them? How can I approach them in a way that's going to have the best result for everybody? Because I want them to be at school. I don't want them to, I don't want somebody to else have some type of a triggering event that leads to other negative consequences. Um, so it was also me stepping into somewhat of a mothering role, take out the somewhat, you know, stepping into a mothering role with some of those kids and learning how to keep myself down regulated and also how to how to create that for them, create an opportunity for them to down regulate when they are coming in heated. So that's really where my coaching journey started then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can, I can completely get it. And I, I and like you say, I, um, it, it, just like I said earlier about you traveling to Seoul at 22 or whatever age you were, 21, 22, maybe. And, um, very brave thing to do. And it really sounds like you saw those opportunities, for, for developing your own skills preceding each of those two appointments that you've just described to us the one with the um you know the slightly disadvantaged children in certain classes moving on to the you know the the the, the kids who are clearly having difficulties in a whole range of aspects no god knows what they would have been but you created the space for them to be themselves and let them create space to communicate more effectively and you you know amazing job all i can say to that it must have been very challenging at times and clearly you learn how to self-regulate as you said and and self-modulate yourself to 
to get into those conversations and make those things work for those people as well as yourself of course um so awesome where did you go then then what what happened there after that what opportunity came next (laughs) (laughs) so then my next opportunity was i switched to another middle school so i went i went to the exact opposite end of the spectrum then so now i went to what was considered the best middle school in the district and i worked with those students and what i learned was even if a school has a certain label they still have some of the same types of students that i had experienced in the other two schools so seeing that from a different perspective um, was really empowering for me and in that school I had the opportunity to still work with those same types of students before they arrived at the high school, um, the alternative high school. So meeting them a little bit sooner in their journeys um, were the students that I worked with. Yeah, yeah. So I worked with those individuals. And then also, um, also recognizing at that time, because it was a very specific curriculum that I taught at this school, um, that how important it is for me to have the opportunity to be creative. So that opportunity for creativity was lessened in this new school. And it was very, very difficult for me as an individual to, to not be able to be as creative as I had been in the past when I was working with those types of students. And so that was the last school that I taught at. And And the reason I left that school was because I wanted to do the coaching. I wanted to have more of that creativity aspect within my life because it was so important to me. And I wanted to work with individuals who who needed some assistance in their lives to downregulate in whatever way that that means for them. I still do work with um, kids and, and I also do work with adults as well because I have a lot of experience working with kids and I really, I believe there's so much um, value in assisting kids in and improving where they are, because I know from the kids specifically that I worked with at the alternative school, how big of an impact, a couple of key interactions, a couple of conversations, having the right teacher at the right time would would change their trajectory um, in small and very large ways at the same time. Yeah, I, I can really hear in, into that, you know, feel into that as well. And I had a couple of teachers at school. One was a math teacher who was always a joy to be around. He was always fun. He always led fun classes. He made it fun. And I had an elderly art teacher as well who seemingly was so laid back that we just enjoyed the class. He was very laid back. Um and an art class for me was quite important because I was really good at drawing. I really loved art and art became the, 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 the route that I took into, into work as well. So I became a graphic designer. Um, but yeah, I, in terms of the, yeah, that younger age, you're just affecting somebody's life much more. There's much more life ahead of them, <laughs> isn't there, at the end of the day. And the earlier you, you break and break in a constructive way you break some of those thought processes or ways of behaving uh, in a way that will actually they will really want to be acting differently because they'll see the benefits um and you really saw that clearly in that in those those teaching opportunities you had didn't you that you could impact somebody 
actually probably just through the raising of a, a of an exam result or something in a couple of terms you you no doubt had a beneficial effect on people and saw that taking place and probably the inter mostly probably from the interaction the way they were with you the way we're into actually communicating with you in future classes having sort of you know worked with them for a while um so yeah i can really see the value in that and continuing to work with children as well is is wonderful i'm sure that you get a lot out of that there's there is something about young minds that are, are much more ma malleable, I guess, because we're less entrenched in, in processes of, you know, thought, thought processes and cycles of behaviour. But um, to affect a child in that respect. And I think the interesting thing, the children are high. I've done some coaching around with certain children. And I work with one particular guy doing personal training at the moment. He's 15. Is they are so open to trying different things, I find. And that they'll just leap into it much like you did with your travel <laughs> you just you just feels completely normal just to try something else out and they'll see that it it helps and just carry on doing it and there won't be any background conversation or negative response to it necessarily um and you'll get a yes or a no that works or it doesn't and it that will be it pretty much done so so i think sometimes coaching children could be such a it can feel much more refreshing sometimes because there's such a more most more most instantaneous reaction to something, um, and um, that's not to, to say it's not possible later in life, of course, because we both know that that's. I mean, look at me. <laughs> yeah. So, so how bring us up to date then? Because I know I, I, my relationship to how I've perceived you to date. Um, because I didn't know you were a formal educator uh, in the sense of being a school teacher um, prior to this conversation. Um, I, I, I know you as a, a yoga coach or teacher or however you would phrase that. So what brought you to, 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 to where I perceive you? Is, is that where you are now? I mean, I know you're doing a lot more uh, um, story work time of coaching, which I obviously do as well, but, and, and, and that kind of workshop stuff. Um, talk us up to date to where you are how you got there from, from the formal teaching. So when I was in at some of those various schools, I started taking some yoga classes and then I did my yoga teacher training, um, at the studio, at the studio where I teach at. So that was five or six years ago that I got my 200 hour, um, yoga teacher certificate. And then I've been teaching at the yoga studio since that time. And after getting my, my certificate to teach adults, I also did a course to teach yoga to students. And so I have done workshops with kids. I brought it into my classroom to do yoga with the students as well um, during their hall periods and skills classes and in various um, times like that. Um, and it was really, it was enjoyable for me to, to do all of that because there's a lot to be said for moving energy out of a person's body and um, that's one of the things that I would do with students when they would be, when they would be obviously upset would be, Hey, do you just want to go to the drinking fountain and get a drink? Like, just want to walk down the hallway a couple of times and, you know, come back. And sometimes it'd be me. Sometimes it'd be another adult that would go with the student to go on a walk with them. Because from my opinion and, and witnessing the, witnessing this across multiple students, staying in the classroom when someone is upset is it's a lot of it's a lot of energy that's just ping ponging back and forth within themselves. 
So asking the students to move in, you know, even if you don't need a drink, I think you should go at the drinking fountain yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and come back, you know, do that a couple of times or sending them on some type of errand or, or something for them to move the energy. Because for me, in my own experience, moving the energy through my yoga practice has been very impactful for me and giving students the opportunity to move the energy when they're in those types of states is also something that's been very impactful for them as well. And it has also assisted, it did assist me in maintaining a calmer classroom um, and allowing them to, to move the energy in a way that would be beneficial for them as opposed to keeping it locked up inside of them during, you know, a 16 minute class. So. Mm. What's interesting, what's come to mind when you've just said that is that the energy in the room will shift when the person goes for their walk as well. So, so, so it literally will because other people are aware there's an upset person in the room. Um, I know it sounds really, it might sound a bit comical to some of you listeners, but when you understand how we all sort of resonate off each other and you're in an enclosed, relatively formal environment in a classroom, aren't you? So, so it has that certain constraints sitting in rows and all those kind of things and you know you have a book and a pencil and you're looking all in one direction there's some there's an energetic force in categorizing you and putting you in those positions and if there's the energy of one person is a bit out of whack and that person leaves it shifts a little bit and um yeah we're talking about energetics here which is a might sound woo woo to many people but when you understand what how what our what our body is doing as we're in a in particular environments and how we're resonating with what's around us and there's subtlety to it um and actually in a previous conversation yeah well i would say we've all had the experience of you know being at a party or being with family or something and, and somebody comes into the room or some comment is said and it's like a screeching halt experience um, you know, and everyone's like looking around, like, uh, who's going to answer it? Or, oh man, like <laughs> so-and-so came in, like the energy like dropped suddenly or somebody came in and now everybody is like even more excited and stuff. It's, it's the same phenomenon, um, even with little people, even with the kids in a classroom. And it would be interesting because sometimes, you know, I'd be like, Hey, so-and-so like, um, you know, let's, let's go for a walk or something. And then I'd have another kid come up and be like, I, I need to take a walk. <laughs> okay okay you can go next and they come back <laughs> you can go next you know and, and sometimes it would be it's important to me I was like well that's great that you recognize that you are also feeling some of that energy that you need whether it's like whether you've just been still for too long and you need to get up and move or or something that's going to make the rest of your experience that your time in this room better um yeah you know like please do because it's going to impact lots of different things so where would you say from there, um, bring us right up to date to where you are now in terms of your professional life and maybe where you're living or, you know, those kind of generic sort of things that, that, that have your life be the way it is now? Yeah. So I, so currently, so last, um, so we're recording this here in January of 2022. Um, a year ago, I made the decision that I was going to take a leave of absence from the school district. So in June of 2021 was the end of my teaching career, you could say, um, teaching middle school and high school students. So I took a leave of absence for the district and now I'm focusing solely on my business. This is 
So my business is all around the coaching that Simon does, um, the story work coaching using the Unlifted Method and helping people create clarity and space and, and feel better about some aspect of their life, whatever was previously weighing them down or whatever was previously um, causing some type of roadblock in their life. So I do that with children and adults. And then I also do some writing of curriculum for Enlifted and for another organization as well, taking the great ideas of the minds that be and putting it into a form for the students, which goes back to all of my education and my teaching days um, of creating curriculum. It's just fit together now because obviously I saw your announcement that there was this sort of the coaching manual for us coaches who've done the Enlifted um, coaching practice and methodology. Um, so that all, it makes sense now. You're, you're an English, an aficionado and, you know, with with amazing writing and intellect in, in the, and the use of our language. So now it's clicked. <laughs> so I understand. And that, that's great. That's great. That's really cool. I'm really looking forward to seeing that, obviously. Um, fantastic. Thanks for bringing us up to date. What single moment, event or issue has produced the most impactful realisation and opportunity to grow for you? Specifically, what happened and how you moved beyond it and grew? So my most impactful event happened in September of 2018. So if we back up before that event, um, as the puzzle pieces we've mentioned already in this conversation, there's all these other puzzle pieces that were also falling into place that created this perfect storm for me. Um, one was the ending of a really significant relationship in my life. And I now realize it was a changing of the relationship. Um, and at the time it seemed like it was ended and it was um, very stormy. So there was this changing relationship, um, which led to me more, to be completely honest, giving myself an eating disorder and becoming really good at fasting, um, which is what I, which is what I did because I thought that was the healthy thing to do was to do these long intermittent fastings. And for some people, it's great for me being a woman and it was not great for me. Um, yeah. Big waves. Yeah. Hormonal changes and shifts. Yeah. Correct. And then I decided that I wanted to run a half marathon. And prior to this, I was not a runner. I was a, I did yoga. I taught like a boot camp. I did some CrossFit type exercises um, with a friend. And I decided that I wanted to run a half marathon. I was going to check this off my list. So as I was training for the half marathon, I also did all the other things, taught the boot camp, camp, did hot yoga, also did the CrossFit type workouts and um, came to the day of the marathon, half marathon. And I'd had some pain in my side and I thought it was from a previous run. Um, I was told that I was healthy. You're good to go. Like, you'll be fine, Kayla. You're good. I was like, okay, I'm going to be good. So I went to this half marathon and um, because of rain that we had gotten, it was moved to a different location. Um, so we were basically running in circles around this large factory and which was ended up being really good for my situation. So mid run, I started having this immense pain in my side. And I remembered reading when I was in high school that, you know, if you have, the, if you have pain or something, when you're running, you're supposed to breathe 
on the opposite leg. So if I had pain on my left side, whenever I took a step with my right, that's when I was supposed to inhale. So I was like, okay, I pulled this memory from um, back in the day and I did it. And I was like, okay, I did that. And I was like, well, that did not help. It still really hurts. Um, so let's, let's stop and stretch. So I stopped and I did my little stretching and I was like, okay, right now let's keep going. Right a little bit more. And I was like, it's still really hurts. <laughs> so I was like, let's stop and get some water. Here's some people with water. Fantastic. You know, some water. Okay, let's go. Took a couple of steps. And I like my gave out and I was down. Her pop assumed my hip popped out of place. So I was like very set on completing the half marathon. So I was like, is anybody a chiropractor that can pop my hip into place? <laughs> and the people are like, um, not, we cannot do that. <laughs> and I was like, seriously, like, I just need somebody to like, put it back in. I'm going to be fine. Like, let me keep running. <laughs> I did not like that idea. I can hear the statement here of like the, the thought that I, somebody told me I'm good to go. I'm, I'm going to keep going. Exactly. Exactly. I had in my mind, like, you're fine. You're going to be okay. Just keep going. Yeah. So um, eventually they came with their little vehicle. I didn't want an ambulance. And, they, you know, they took me back and I was like, just take me, just take me to my car. I'll take care of it. Just take me to my car. Um, I could not walk, like putting any weight on my leg. It was like my leg was no longer attached. So they physically lifted me up and set me into my car. Um, I shut the door and I drove off and I drove back to my house. My sister and her then fiance had come over to walk my dog because it was early in the morning. I was going to be gone for a little bit. They came to take him for another longer walk and they were outside as I pulled in and you could see on their faces, like what you do in home. You're not that fast of a runner. Like why are you, why are you here already? And I was like, well, I kind of hurt myself. And um, can somebody come with me to the doctor? Because I can't really move on my own. So can you like, can somebody, can you guys help me? And they're like, okay, sure. So we went to, there's something in the States called convenient care. They had, they were not opened yet on a Saturday morning at 8.30. So I was like, okay, fine. I don't want to wait another half an hour. So let's just go to the ER. So we drive to the hospital. I get to the ER put me in a little wheelchair again. Like I cannot, I cannot stand at all. Like there's no way I can put it on this foot. Take me to the ER, get x-rays. And the doctor comes in and he's like, you broke your hip. And I was like, what, what do you mean? I broke my hip. I start crying. My sister starts crying. She's getting married in five weeks. I'm her maid of honor. And it was tears everywhere never had a surgery before in my life. And I was like, like now what? And he's like, we're going to have surgery in a couple of hours, more tears. Um, so that was my, that was my storm chaser moment was, was being really kicked on my butt and, and having being forced to take action and do something different. So I had surgery later that day. I was blessed to have the best surgeon that I potentially, that I possibly could have had. Um, put a rod, put two screws in my hip, got me all back together. And I woke up the next day from the surgery and it was like this light bulb clicked, which was like, nobody else is going to take care of you. Yes, your family's here. Yes, you know, you have friends and yes, all these things, but you, you need to take care of yourself. Um, um, 
that that realization continued to trickle as I as I as I moved through my healing process because the medical system in the states was not going like my insurance was not going to pay for the things that I needed in order to really recapture my health. It was all going to come out of my own pocketbook. And that was a really hard pill for me to swallow because up until that point, my parents had great insurance. I had great insurance. Everything was covered. Now suddenly things were not covered and I had to pay for it out of pocket. There's a lot of resentment to begin with regarding that until I accepted like, okay, this is your responsibility. So take care of it. Um, so I hired, I hired a check, um, check professional from Paul Check's teachings and trainings. I hired a check professional. And then from there, I had lots of different recommendations of, of individuals to connect with, to get everything back to what it needed to be, because I did not have full confidence in the, um, physical therapist that I worked with, um, and all of that. So it was this multi-prong approach of, of some work being done on my spine because my atlas and axis were off, which was impacting various things. Um, and you didn't see more individuals because I also learned that I had osteomalacia at that point. So like a month or two later, I went in to see another doctor had been recommended. And I learned that I had osteoporosis um, under the age of 40. So then it began the process of, okay, like you need to, you need to improve your bones. This is incredibly important. What are you going to do to improve your bones? Um, so then that started me a whole journey of holistic health and wellness and taking responsibility for it instead of assuming somebody else is going to take care of it for me, um, which eventually led me to paleo effects in 2019, which is where I stuck around a little bit longer after listening to Mike Bledsoe talk and met Mark England and listened to his conversation and knew that this was the next, next phase of my journey um, was taking the unlifted course. Um, and then, um, and then I've been part of that ever since. So. The rest is history, as we know. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, that's that's really that's a fan. That's a great story. I mean, I mean, really sounds like what had happened. You know, in in simple terms, is that you'd done your best to be the healthiest version of yourself you could be, going down the, a journey of believing you were doing the right thing without really taking in all to the, the, that like holistic consideration really having a lack of knowledge and we, we don't know when we have a lack of knowledge necessarily until something doesn't work right um so do you think your um do you think your um the break was um already there I, it sounds like it was already there clearly probably from the training you got a micro fracture and then it gradually just got worse and worse and worse yeah I'm, you know, I'm, I'm unsure because I've had some people look at x-rays that I had prior to the event. Um, and no, no fracture is evident and, you know, it was the perfect storm. Um, and in all honesty, it's like the best thing that could have happened to me, um, because of everything that happened because of it. And, you know, there's so many, you know, it goes back to that, those puzzle pieces. You know, I, I think lots of different factors played a role in it. And one of the factors would be growing up on a farm with lots of glyphosate um, and impacting my body's ability to, to absorb vitamin D because I am, I do have a darker complexion. So I should have a very a higher vitamin D um, concentration than what other individuals have. I also think, you know, me becoming a great faster also contributed to it to some extent as well. So I think it was the perfect storm of 
of variables of puzzle pieces across my life that suddenly all clicked into place at this one time when I decided to do this half marathon on this one day. No, it's, it's interesting how everything falls into place. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing I just wanted to to highlight a little bit here is um, the eating, if you like, if you had some sort of eating disorder, you know, whether it was an overly addiction to fasting because it, it worked for you or you felt it was working for you. How is your recovery being in terms of managing your eating and, and wellness around food? Yeah, so the becoming a really great faster, um, you know, that was several, several months of me. It was almost like a competition with myself, like, okay, I wonder how long I can go today, like fasting and stuff, because it provided me with an opportunity of perceived, like being able to do more work because I didn't have to spend the time at lunch eating. I could actually do work during that time. So, so in my head, it, it had all these perks, Um, which is why I continue to do it for a period of time. And what really helped me stop was a friend of mine had, was going to try to do like a five day water fast and he, he was unable to do it. And I was like, I can do that. Like I can easily do a five day water fast. So I did it and seeing how my body changed during that five day water fast, um, I remember like the second to last day, I was like, I'm done with this. Like once, once this fast is done, like this is not healthy. Like I would never show these images to anybody because it is scary. Like it is, it is incredibly unhealthy how thin I am right now or like how my body is just like caved in with like lack of food, especially in the abdominal area. And I was like, if you can't even show these pictures to somebody else, like you, like I knew to the depth of my being like, this is, this is a bad path right now that you've been treading. So once the fast ended, um, was when I started like returning to more of a, a normal eating pattern. Um, and now, you know, there's been different times when I fasted or I fasted because of like a flight or because of other things happening. And it's just, and it's not, my body's like, no, no, we're not doing this. <laughs> I get, you know, I know that I need to eat. Um, and, and that's a really good thing. Um, so I haven't had the, I have yet to experience and I, um, you know, like any desire to, to go back to that. Um, and part of it I know is like my conversation I have with myself, you were a really good faster. Like you were too good for your own good. So, so I know that about myself. Um, and now it's, I'm more focused on, you know, like making sure that the foods that I consume and the foods that I purchase are foods that I want to have in my body. Um, so it's been a, it's been a really good journey for me to become more, become even more knowledgeable about food and recognizing that while for some people, fasting is a really good thing for them and they have a lot of benefits and it's safe for them and it's effective for them. Um, there's also the other side to it too, that I experienced or that I created for myself and understanding how to, how to stay healthy in different ways um, because there's lots of different ways for people to stay healthy. Fasting is not the only way. Doing CrossFit or doing yoga is not the only way. Um, there's lots of different ways. And and acknowledging that and being comfortable with that and celebrating that is um, is where I've gone instead. 
Yeah, I, I, and what I hear in in those statements is is where I've got to, which is there's a, 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 a that the the stress around eating exercise, my well being is is descended down into the lower regions of my stress state. It, it, it now I don't ever get to the point where I overeat or I overdrink alcohol because I like I like to have a couple of drinks with friends and stuff like that. I still drink. Um, I don't overexercise. The balance of all of these and a lot of more of the subtle things like what what supplements do I take? You know, what time do I go to bed? What time? How much water do I drink every day? Which are all important. For, that all of these things make a difference, and it's. It's just coming to the understanding that once you understand the nuances of each of those, which takes a little bit of learning, um, some of us naturally do it. You know, we're luckily enough to be raised with families that understand these things already. So it becomes natural to have, you know, three of these a day at least or whatever, um, you know, drink two cups of tea, one cup of coffee and then one glass of orange juice and then maybe one glass of wine once every other night or something like that. And it all balances out and you know it, you just live it because it's normal. But for most of us, there is some work to do to get the balance right for ourselves. Um, and as you did, you know, really just understanding where you where you were brought up had an effect on the 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 effect the way your body accepted or denied the the availability of nutrients if you ate them or you know you know there's a numerous numerous levels to this in some ways but once you do have a broad relatively broad understanding um it's a, it gives you a good peace of mind so you don't i don't ever get overly do this or that or the other and if i do i just go oh i had too much to drink last night or i, I trained five times this week and not four or i've, I've run a half marathon this week <laughs> why did i do that that would be my third that would be my first thing because i wouldn't want to do that really it's not my thing but i could run a half marathon by accident and then you know probably be in some joint pain for a few for a week or so maybe two weeks and and then gradually recover and feel oh that wasn't too bad after all um but yeah, the balance of things is really important and um, it's a learning curve. And um, so thank you for sharing that, you know, the way you addressed um, the, the fasting. I appreciate that. Um, of course. If you could implement only one action or practice in times of adversity, what would it be and why? So this goes back to my conversation around yoga and movement in my students in the classroom. For me personally, I notice even today, if there's something that I'm upset about, the best thing for me to do is to go outside and go for a walk or go to the yoga studio and go practice and move my body because it's moving the energy through me. There are multiple times when I'm out walking my dog and I'll have tears coming down, thinking about things or just releasing, releasing something that's bothering me. Um, or if I'm at the yoga studio, you know, sweating out some of that. So one of my best practices, if, if I'm feeling a certain way is to move the energy. One thing that we talk about within Lift, and I know Simon talks about this as well as like writing it down. So writing it down can be great, right? Getting it out of your body, moving the energy out, whether it's through the pen, whether it's by going for a walk, whether it's by, you know, going to yoga or lifting weights or doing something, finding some way to move it up and out is, is the best thing that I know to do for myself. And sometimes it looks different, right? Sometimes it is journaling and sometimes it's like, okay, put on your shoes, go outside, go take a walk. Yeah, yeah. 
That's cool. That's really cool. What I like is the fact that you've addressed that um, it's not just the activity, it's the the energy movement. Um, and um, it's about, and I have a similar thing. So when I, when I if there's something where I have a sense of, uh, where I'm cl- it's classed as adversity in this question, right? For me, it would be, I'd probably in my own world relate to it as I feel a bit stressed about something. What is it? My go-to now is definitely journaling. And, and, I, and I only go there, having said that, I only go there when I perceive what the stress is and I have, I want to get clarity around my relationship to this particular thing that I'm stressed about. Um, I'm lucky enough, to, like you are, to have a dog and the dog needs to be taken out for its walk. It, re- it is a requirement. Otherwise, the dog starts literally almost bouncing off the wall and and you can't do what you want to do. You can't relax because the dog is jumping on you and saying, take me out. Um, And that's um, been one of the godsends for me. Um, I've shared this on previous podcasts I've recorded as well. Um, But the the long term, I've had the dog almost 10 years now. She's been with me for that long. And um, it's been a consistent go for a walk every day almost every day there's only been one of two days when i've been with her that i've not taken her out for whatever reason um and that that for me is just like you if i go without my headphones in which i often do now i do it more so now than i used to um because i often listen to musical podcasts um there's 20 minutes 25 minutes into the walk there's a different different sensation your body heats up, the energy flows more, um, you get the fresh air, you get the scenery, you see your dog doing nature type things, sniffing around and being an animal and your energy shifts. I also think it's also the change of location that's good too. Like for me, because if I'm feeling a certain way, like if I'm feeling adversity or if I'm feeling stressed about something, staying in the same environment sometimes is not the best thing for me. So in that instance, like, going out and getting the fresh air or moving or going to the yoga studio or going somewhere else changes the energy, changes the feelings for me simply by, you know, going back to the previous conversation, you can tell when somebody's, um, you can tell the mood in the room, right? And sometimes you need to go to a different location that has a little bit different mood, a different vibe, different lighting that will change how, that changes how I feel and that is beneficial for me. Yeah, absolutely. There's some, um, I can't remember the exact reference to this, but one of the podcasts um, that I listen to at the moment quite regularly, they there is some, there is definitely a science around the idea that your vision perceives moving through, through something, past things. So there's a scientific piece. I can't remember what it relates to, whether it's learning or it, it has an increase, there's a good positive impact of having your eyes moving past things. So the idea of walking is part of that because you're moving through through a you know scenery or a vista or a lane or whatever, you're, you're a forest, you're perceiving things passing your vision and there's something that connects into the brain that has a pro, a very, you know, a, a profound positive effect. Um, I as I say, I can't remember the exact impact, but it literally is. So as well as the energy moving, us as humans moving through landscapes. It also shows like us progress rather than being like stagnant and still, right? Like if you're in the same spot and you're seeing the same things, you're stagnant still, right? And there's this type of perception or connotation with 
stagnant. This is moving, it's like energy moving forward, change. Yes, especially like the word, the, just writing the word down, as we know. <laughs> I am yeah. stood still and I am I am moving forward. They're just simple words, but the energy feels very different, yeah. 100%. Cool, cool. Right, next question. If you have one, what is the one thing you tend to keep in the dark about yourself? Ooh, this is a good one. You know, I'm an introvert in many areas of my life, I would say. And one thing, you know, silly things, I would say, that, you know, that that we keep in the dark about ourselves. One thing is I love um, changing recipes. I am somebody that does not follow recipes. I'll be like, huh, I don't have that in my cupboard or my refrigerator. I'm going to put this in instead. I wonder what's going to happen. Um, so that really goes back to being creative in lots of different areas of my life of, of how can I use what I have to, and see what happens. And if it works out great, if it doesn't, well, I'm the one who's eating it. So <laughs> I'll decide then what I want to do with it. Um, yeah. So creativity is, is one area that people may not be aware of with me um because you know i'm i'm not negation acknowledged him um i do things in a different creative way i guess from my perception of it um yeah i understand what you're saying there um i there, there is this there is a conversation isn't there out there around um many people not believing they that, that creativity is something that they have um like most people don't think they're creative individuals most people don't see that but we all have we can be creative about anything just as you explained oh i i didn't put salt in this recipe i'll put curry powder instead or whatever it is right exactly. <laughs> or i put eggs instead of mashed potatoes and it just turned out like this exactly <laughs> and there's no there's no right and wrong in the, in in recipe making either but just like you, you you were creative in the way that you found ways to communicate with your students and and have teaching be something they care about and actually started to to want to be more involved in despite what all the feelings they had uh, you know initially on meeting you their creativity is is available to everybody and you are likely everybody listening to this is likely creative in ways that they that they're unaware of they're actually being creative and don't realize it <laughs> exactly and you know like one thing is i love like i went back to like i said earlier like using what i have i love to repurpose things so how can i repurpose this rather than throw it out or how can i use something in a different way in a different part of my house um because i do enjoy having you know one of my goals is to have less stuff um, and rather than going out and buying and bringing more stuff into my house, I'm constantly thinking, okay, how can I get stuff out of my house? What can I, what can <laughs> I repurpose or use in a different way? And creativity comes in so many different ways. And there's so much joy for me when I, when I repurpose something or when I, or when I rearrange something in my house and it, I'm like, wow, this looks beautiful. I'm so glad I did this or or, you know, trying a different recipe or putting a different ingredient in or something like that. Um, it's, it's really, I'm going to, I've got a little, a little uh, snippet of something that's just come to mind around what you're just describing here. You know, one of the things we all, you know, in the Western world, we have lots of packaging for, for things. And um, I was bought um, a set of uh, four little whiskey uh, flavor, like a flavored uh, 
the set of different whiskey types from a particular brand of whiskey in Scotland by my brother. And it came in this beautiful cardboard constructed box with a lovely lid that made a click when you put the lid down. And um, and I'm, you know, like like we're all trying to do is make the best of um, not having to recycle so much or at least recycling it. If you don't need to recycle it, using it for something. And I stood in my kitchen for about 10 minutes trying to figure out what I could do with this box. Um, and I realised I would spend 10 minutes doing that and I can't think of anything to do with the box. So I had I put it in the recycling. But it's one of those things, it was, such a, it was such a beautiful box. I would have happily kept it on a shelf somewhere, but then I have the same conversation as you do, as I don't want to have my place cluttered with stuff that I don't really need. <laughs> so there's a kind of, there's kind of a, like a bit of a dilemma there about, okay, well, it's a really great item. I'd really like to keep it because it's beautiful and I want to use it for something, but I can't think of anything to use it for. And at the same time, I don't want the clutter anyway. So it's like, and that that's the dilemma I had. And I realised I'd also spent 10 minutes of my time looking at this object. <laughs> We're very considerate. Yeah, yeah. I, I literally had a, a real struggle with it. But but that's a, it's, I think it's quite a good example of, you know, for me being who I am and, and the relationship you have to stuff as well, because I've definitely had that. And I do have that now. I'm very... I relate to myself as being relatively particular in terms of what I want to keep now. Most of my clothes I keep throwing out. I, I throw out stuff every year, you know, or, or recycle it, get it into recycling because I don't want to have, I like to have new bits of items of clothing, but I, I don't buy lots of clothing, but things wear out, right? And, you, you know, you recycle things and whatever if you can. Um, but the more clutter, the more my light, we know the energy, it's about the energy again. There's too many items in this room for me to feel content and harmonious and, and all that kind of behavior, you know, that kind of reaction to these things. Cool. That's a great, great one there. I love that. Thanks. Appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> Where are you winning in life right now, Kayla? Ooh, I'm winning because I say yes, Simon. I say yes to opportunities. I'm creative when I pitch or when I talk with different individuals about working with them. Um, and I'm creative when I create curriculum and, and I stick with it. I stick with me. I, I, even if there's some sense of an imposter syndrome that comes up, I was telling this to uh, an unlifted group on Tuesday. Um, I welcome when the imposter syndrome comes up because that tells me that I'm bumping up against my ceiling of what's possible. And I'm, I'm towing the line to going into what I believe is impossible. And I'm going to show myself that I can do it. And I'm stretching my limits um, when that imposter syndrome comes up. And I, and I have the tools, I have the community, I have the support to know that I am capable of doing things. So where I'm winning right now is saying yes to opportunities, um, choosing to do things that make my heart, you know, overflow, that allow me to be creative and that give me the sense of joy and satisfaction um, by doing work. Yeah, I hear that. That's that's awesome. I, what stuck out there was I stick with it. You said I stick with it. And I wonder if she's written that down. Have you written that? Do you write that down? Is that, is that something you got written down somewhere? No, you know, I, it's a phrase that I'll sometimes say that I'll say to myself is like, you know, like I'm going to stick with it. And it's like, no, I stick with me. I stick with me. I keep sticking yeah, yeah, with yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And yeah, that's one of the statements that I'll repeat. I haven't written it down and it's a, it's a reframe that I enjoy playing through my head. I get that. I heard it. Yeah. Where do you experience a sense of impossible right now? And how do you intend to progress this into the realm of the possible? Yeah. So this goes back to that last question of where I'm winning and that imposter syndrome, because the imposter syndrome comes up for me. You know, I'm feeling like, oh, are you good enough to do this? Or do you have what it takes to deliver on these promises? Or do you know it's going to work out the way that you say it's going to work out? Right. That impo- that imposter syndrome questions my believability in myself. And it tells me, you know, questions me like, is this really possible? Give me the idea that it's not possible. So when that comes up, um, I remind myself that I have the tools and I remind myself that I, if I figured it out before, I can figure it out again. And that belief in myself um, has made a huge difference because I know I have a strong work ethic. I know that I will put in the time and the effort. I know that I can deliver on the promises. It may look different than what I intend them to look. And I know that something good is going to come out of it. I know that lots of good things are going to come out of it. So, you know, my, my best piece of advice for myself when I feel that something is difficult or it's challenging or it's impossible is to, to move through that energy to write down what I do know and to start to put the puzzle pieces together and start to, to slowly talk myself into believing it and believing in me is really what it comes down to believing that it's, I'm capable of doing X, Y, and Z. Um, and that I have the tools. If I lack the tools, I know where I can go to get the support that I need to follow through and do a really good job. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, it's interesting there for me in that I, I hear the process you go through clearly and something that I've definitely become more comfortable with because I have a, 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 a story around perfection <laughs> from my past um, is is you create your puzzle pieces as you go in your, you know, in the way you relate to the puzzle. Because often I used to need, in my own world, I'd want to see the finished image. And, and actually the adventure is creating the, the finished image as you ongoingly create the pieces. Knowing you have a clear direction, like it's going to be a picture of a forest and it might be a purple forest, but we don't know until we get there. <laughs> and, and that makes it more creative. Um, there is a bigger element of having that ownership of your own um, abilities and, and awareness of how you can create things, um, which takes a little bit of muscle flexing and creation earlier on in the process. But when you get to that stage, you're crafting your own journey as you go. And when these things show up, like the imposter syndrome or when there's some sort of sense of overstress for some reason around some application that you're, you're working on, um, you can then self-direct, which is really where this comes in. Is it? And, you, and you may well ask for support around things, which, which, you know, you can do that as well because you have the freedom to do those things. So that's awesome. I re- thank you for talking us through that, Kayla. That's really, really cool. What question have I not asked you that you would like to be asked so you can answer now? Ooh, so I would love to be asked the question. I can ask myself this question of what are your values? Um, 
So values are a great area that I like to discuss because values help my values help me decide what I'm going to say yes to and what I'm going to say no to. So my three values are love, joy, and adventure. So is this going to bring me love? Is this going to bring me joy? Is this going to bring me a sense of adventure? And that adventure comes back to those puzzle pieces, right? How does everything fit together? How am I going to make this be the best for myself? And seeing that Adventure for me is, yes, traveling to new areas, right, physical areas, but it's also traveling to new areas within myself and pushing myself up against what seems to be difficult or impossible or challenging and overcoming them and being successful and, and telling my, showing myself that, oh, you can do this. And let me, let me give you an example of when you have done it. Um, so values are something that are really important to me and that have been very pivotal in me making great steps forward in my life. That's cool. That's really, really cool. Thank you for, thank you for sharing that. I've not talked about values at all in here, but uh, that, that's really a great sort of beginning of the end of this conversation we've been having because it really, I can really see how all of we've talked about fits into the, that adventurous side of you and, and also that love and joy aspect as well of, 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 of who you are. Um, is there any question you're glad I didn't ask? <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel completely the ones that were asked. No, I feel I feel I feel good with the questions that were asked. And um yeah, it'd be interesting to see what question would be asked. And I'd be like, ooh, I don't know. If, I'm unsure how to answer this right now. I'm not going there, sir. <laughs> Hey, it's been it's been absolutely wonderful to to hear hear you speak about your life. Um, thank you so much, Kayla. Please share anything with us that you would like to add about what you're up to and where people can reach you. Perfect. Thanks, Simon. So, as I said earlier, I work with kids and I also work with adults, doing one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions with them. Those sessions are around really whatever they want to work on. It could be something that they've been ruminating on. It could be an area of their life where they're experiencing struggle. It could be that they want to set goals. They're having trouble achieving success in some area of their life, whether that's financially, whether that's with work, whether it's with family or friends or whatever it may be. It's it's that that area that keeps nagging at you or that you have that thought repeating in your mind, like, oh, I really should do something about this or maybe I should do something about that. Um, so I do those one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions. That's um, from Our Stories in Motion. You can find me on Instagram at Our Stories in Motion um, if you're interested in booking anything like that. And then my website is www.ourstoriesinmotion.com. So I do all of that work um, helping people improve their lives. And then I also work with uh, an individual who's currently going through the Enlifted training, and he's also a checklistic coach. Um, as well. He's done both the movement and the holistic lifestyle coaching through Paul Check. And we work with schools and businesses to improve their, their overall health and then the communication and mindset that they have with one another and with the kids and um, the other staff members. And so that is through um, Greener Shepherd. So that's www.greenershepherd.com because we both have um, German Shepherd dogs that we love. So if yeah. So if anyone is interested in anything in regards to that, otherwise I view my Instagram profile as really 
like a language school is, is how I perceive it. Take out the like. It's a language school for me to share my love of words and what's happening in this world um, and share the celebrations of my clients on that Instagram handle as well. So I encourage you to follow if you want some good feeling in your IG feed when you're looking. Um, and if you have any questions, reach out and let me know. We would love to jump on a call and assist you with whatever you would need. Fantastic, Kayla. For contact details of today's guest, as well as my own, please check the show notes. Thank you for listening today, and I've one final request. Live your impossible life.